Okay, let's get started with Parshas Chukas, Tavshin Ayin Hay. Again, broadcasting here from uh, Camp Cayley, the first of the of the uh, summer session, and uh, after the week hiatus. But uh, now we're back, Parshas Chukas, and let us start off with the beginning, the beginning of the Parsha with uh, Paraduma. One small thought on Paraduma as we start off by. Describing the process. The process is, we know, somebody who becomes Tamei Mace and requires the ashes of the Paraduma be sprinkled on them. We know that the Pasuk tells us, Unisatem Ozal Azar Kohen, Elazar, the assistant Kohen Gadol, did it. And what does he take? He takes the ashes of the Paraduma and he mixes it into, with water, with the special water that we know, V'lachula Tamei Meafrasrefas Achatas, V'nasan Alav Mayim Chayim El Keli. Mayim Chayim, special water mixed in with the the dirt of the the, the ashes of the uh, of the paraduma. The Mayana Shal Torah, the fir- there's a part of it that was cut off that I did not that is not on your sheet, and you'll have the second part. The Gera Rebbe is quoted in the Mayana Shal Torah by saying, "What's the symbolism of the of the ashes and of the water?" Why Dafka? Those two in the mixture explains the Gera Rebbe. Adam Nikra B'Shem Adam, a famous thought, but he relates it in this context. Adam, man, is called Adam. Where does Adam come from? Mishum shehu nivra afar minha adama. On the one hand, Adam is from the word adama, ground, lowliness. But on the other hand, no safakach yish pazegam rem is la adama leelyon. Adame, I am like, I can be like a Kaddish Baruch Hu. I have it selam alokim. I am lowly, but I could be very uplifted and I could uh, fulfill my potential. Even if somebody has to be in their own eyes lowly, but also we have to shoot for the stars. So, says the Gerarebi, when we have the ashes of the Paraduma mixed in also with the dirt, the Afar, as is described, we have something that is very lowly. We have Afar and we have Afer, burned, and it is then uh, mixed into water, which raises it up. So you have something that inherently is lowly, but it is raised up, it is floating, so to speak, says the Gerarebi, that is exactly the balance that we have to have, one of the messages that we have from Paraduma, when we have mixed in something that is usually on the floor, on the ground, but then it floats based on the based on the water in which it is found. That's the mitzvah, Mayim Chaim Al-Kali. Along these lines of feeling the lowliness uh, you have now in source number one. This is the continuation of that piece. The lowliness, he says, if you look at the Pasik, right at Shani, if you look at the trap, the Ta'amim, on the Lakach Ezov, we know the Ta'amim, the trap goes all the way back to Ezra Sofer, the Gemara mentions it. The Lakach Ezov, a person takes the Ezov, that, the trap is Kadma Vazla. What's Kadma Va'azla? What does that mean? Kadam Va'azal. Says the Bayan uh, Torah continuing. Because the Azov, which is also an element of remembering our lowliness. If you remember the Kadma, the Kadam, where we came from, Me'ayin Basa, the Kadam Va'azal, Ula Arata Olecha, where one is going, the Kadam Va'azal, 
also related to the message of feeling the shiftless in the Parsha of Paraduma. Also, the Trap helps us get into the uh, understanding that we're supposed to feel. Okay, let's get us started. And now let's get into one of the major questions and ideas that is discussed by many. This year we'll see it through the eyes of the Apirion, the author of the Kisr Shochan and his commentary on, on Chumash. Zos Chukas Torah. The Parsha starts off, Vaidabar Hashem Moshe Val Aaron Lemar. Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, Zos Chukas HaTorah, Shertziva Hashem Lemar. These are the laws of the Torah. And we go into the details of Para Aduma. And the question of many is, why does the parsha start off with Zos Chukas HaTorah? It should be Zos Chukas HaPara. We're talking about one area of halacha here, Para Aduma. And yet we have this general, these are the laws of the Torah. The laws of the Torah. Okay, you want to put this at the beginning of the Torah? You want to put this at the beginning of Parsha's bow, where we have the first national mitzvos? What's this doing here? Right before Para Aduma, we have Zos Chukas HaTorah. Okay, Chazal Darshin, the Ramam quotes in the Nilchas Talmud Torah, a person is not konein, you have to be meimus atzmacha for Torah, right? That's a tamei meis. Okay, that's a drush. But what's, why is the entire Torah, so to speak, related to para aduma? Zos chukas ha-Torah, instead of saying, zos chukas ha-para. Says the Apirion. Again, a thought that's found in various versions in various contexts, in various farms. He starts over the Medrash. The Medrash on line number five. Now in source number two. Line number five says the Medrash, Amarti ech kamavihi rechokamimeni. Shlomo HaMalach says, I thought that I had a certain wisdom. Amarti ech And I thought that I would be able to conquer and to understand and to delve into the topic of Torah. Vihi rechokamimeni, but it's far from me. It's far from me as much as I've tried. And Chazal Darshan, as we know, that passage is a reference to Paraduma, which Shlomo HaMelech could understand much, but he could not understand Paraduma. Ha-chacham adam. And the question asked the Apirion is, Paraduma. How do we know that that passage is Dafka? How did Chazal know? There's a lot of Chukim in the Torah. Yet Chazal knew that Paraduma is the one that was referred to by Shlomo HaMelech. What about Shatnes? What about Basar B'chalav? There are many chukim. And yet this is the one. This is the model. This is when we think of a chok, this is it. Paraduma, that's the chok. What makes its chok nature different than all the other chukim? There are many laws that we don't know the reasons. Va'amar says the Apirion, line 10. Kilashon echkama mashma sheyoga es atzmo lahachkim ulahavin. Echkama means I try, I delve, I try, I, 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 I spend time analyzing, trying to figure it out. Ulahavin. Va'al yedezeve hi rechoka, but it's still far. Why is that only unique to Paraduma? Many chukim are not understandable, but only paraduma is not understandable because of its inherent contradictions within its halachos. As we know, the person who is tamemes, who has sprinkled on, becomes tar. Day three, day seven, at the end of the process, he becomes tar. 
Yet the one who was involved in the sprinkling, the ones who inv- the one who was involved in the avoda, different parts of the avoda, there's sreifa sapara, there's the sprinkling itself, they become tame. So that is the problem, says the Apirion. If I stay up all night thinking and determining and I finally figure out why Paraduma creates Tara, then I'm stuck because now I've just undermined the other part of the Avoda. I really think I figured it out. Then the opposite becomes difficult. And the opposite. If I've come up with a good reason why the Paraduma causes Tuma to those who are involved in its production, it is the ultimate tardidisasri. It is the ultimate inner contradiction. You can't explain two opposites. Two opposites on the same process. Yes, we have in conceptual analysis in the base medrash, we could explain why there are elements, we know, there are elements, how can they be a machogas? Because there are elements of this and there are elements of this. But lo so you pask in one way. Each sheet is only going to pask in one way. So we could take a step back and say there is some conceptual truth to both of the opinions. Like the Maharal that we always like to quote, who gives the mashal of a tree. What makes a tree grow? You ask somebody and they say, oh, water makes a tree grow. And you ask somebody else, oh, the sun makes a tree grow. You ask somebody else, oh, the soil makes a tree grow. Who's right? They're all right. Depends on your perspective. Depends how you look at it. So in conceptual analysis, we could say that there are a lot of different ways to look at it. There are 49 levels of, 49 ways to look at this, 49 ways to look at this. But Lamaisa will say something, will say mutter, will say also a paskin one way. Paraduma, we have opposite psakim, opposite results within the same halachic process. That's the problem, says the Says the Aperion. again, You can never find a reason for Lamaisa paskening opposite ways. By other Chukim, it's possible for the, for the, uh, Chacham to find, find, uh, various reasons. He says, that's the problem, that's what's so unique about, about Paraduma. And now he continues and says, There have been certain heretical views out there that they have come up with certain reasons for mitzvahs. And they have thought they have come up for the reasons. And they say, And they say, well, we figured out the reason. And therefore, if the reason doesn't apply, then the reason doesn't make sense. The mitzvah doesn't apply. We don't have to look too far. Just think of last week's parsha. Korach. Korach thinks he's got it. Korach thinks you fill up a room with Zifrei Torah, you don't need a mezuzah. A mezuzah. You need Shmira in this room. Doesn't make sense. The room is full of Zifrei Torah. So Korach, in Rav Solveitchik's article called The Common Sense Rebellion, right? he figured it out. The mitzvah doesn't apply. Says the Apirion. We have people throughout history like that. The Hevel Yifsepihem. But what they say is nonsense. We fulfill the mitzvos, not because we fully understand them. Reasons 
as the Hebrew word is just a tam. It makes it tasty for us. But it doesn't tell us that that's the mahut. That's the nature of the mitzvah itself. If the reason helps us and gets us invigorated and excited about the mitzvah, wonderful. But we have to understand there's so much more beyond. And even when we think we know the reason, we have to ultimately do the mitzvah because HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us. And we learn that from the ultimate chok. Paraduma, the ultimate inner contradiction, where we recognize that we cannot figure out the reason. The Chacham Mikaladam, Shlomo HaMelech, couldn't figure it out, so we acknowledge we cannot figure it out, so we must say that and have that attitude by all mitzvos. Yes, we should try to figure out the reasons. The Rambam writes, in more than one place, we should try to come up with Tamiya Mitzvahs, and we should try to appreciate it and make it tasty for us. But... It doesn't mean that we've come up to the to the to the end. Ashar. It says the Aperion, and from this we should compare it to all the other mitzvos. The Gamshar mitzvos, Afapisha Seichel Haenoshi, Midameshemevenatam. Even though logic dictates that we've come up with a reason, this is not like any other area and religious law. Maybe in other religions where the laws are humanly created. They could say, oh, this is what was, this is what the author, thank you, the author had in mind. But when it comes to our law, Torah's Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Kibbal Torah Misina, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the source. So we cannot have the audacity to ascribe reasons as being the ultimate reason. And we understand everything about the mitzvah. Whatever we can take for ourselves, that's great. But, not for the entire mitzvah. And says the Aperion, that's why. Zos chukas ha-Torah. Because zos chukas, the chok nature of this mitzvah, teaches us something about all the mitzvahs of the Torah. Not just the mitzvah that it appears by, as we might say, lo lalameid al ha-prat, al haklal. That is the Aperion, a thought that's said by many, but says the Rishlomo Gansfried that this is what the message is for us. Okay, let's go to the next major issue in the Parsha. And that, of course, after Paraduma is Perek Chaf, Vayavobene Yisrael, Kol Ha'eda Midbartzin, Dekabte Midbartzin, Miriam dies, Vatikavrashan, that's how we know this is already, Parshas Chukas, we already are in the 40th year. We're already in the 40th year. We think there's a lot Till we get to Sukkot, it's a long time. Till we get to Simchas Torah, we finish Zos Racha. But it's all the 40th year right now. We changed, we spoke in past years about what happened from Parah Duma, the end of last week's Parsha, or the beginning, Korach. Korach was in year 2. And all of a sudden we're in year 40. We know nothing about all of those 38 years except the Masos listed in the beginning of Parsha's Masay. And right here, uh, the halachas of Paraduma are, are given to us. But either way, so what happens? B'nai Yisrael, after Miriam dies, we know Miriam was B'schus Miriam, there was the Be'er, the Be'er Miriam. So B'nai Yisrael complain when the water disappears, they want water. So what happens? Right? They complain in a very uh, pernicious way. They complain against Moshe. They complain against Aaron. Why did you bring us up? And Moshe and Aaron are very upset. They fall on their faces. They say, we can't deal with this anymore. 
Right. How many times are B'nai Yisrael going to complain reading Sefer by Midbar? It is not the best Sefer about Am Yisrael's uh, standing up in the face of Nisyonos. So what happens? Hashem says to Moshe, we have the Parsha of the hitting of the rock. The mysterious hitting of the rock. Let's read the words. Every phrase on these psukim is spoken about by the Rishonim. We spoke about this about five years ago. There he is, Deus, so and we're going to add on some more uh, tonight. So what happened? Hashem tells Moshe, take his staff, gather around all of Klai Yisrael, you and Aaron, speak to the rock in front of them, and it will, will give its water. And you shall bring them out water from the rock. And then you give them to drink. You give the people to drink. You give the animals to drink. And Moshe does that. He takes the mate. He gathers the kahal. And all of a sudden, Moshe Rabbeinu starts getting upset. Shimuna Hamorim, listen up, you rebels. From this rock are we going to bring you water? Very unclear phrase. What is this a rhetorical question Moshe Rabbeinu is asking? Is this a rebuke that he's giving? Very unclear. Moshe lifts up his hand and he hits the rock twice. That's it. Pasuk Zion through Pasuk Yud Aleph. That is the story of the Moshe and Aaron and the rock. Right afterwards, history has been changed forever. You can no longer go into Eretz Yisrael. Destiny is no longer on your side, so to speak, in terms of Eretz Yisrael. Something happens here. And it is very not clear what happened here. So, we'll go through two ideas this year, among others. Let's first review the Rambam. We saw a number of years ago the Rambam through the eyes of the Ramban, but now we'll see it inside. The Rambam himself, in source number three, the Rambam discusses this in Shemona Prakim, in his Hagdama to Pirkei Avos. Source number three. The Rambam tells us, what was the problem here? What did Moshe and Aaron do to lose that great schus of going in. Let me explain what and relate what I've said in this parak, says the Rambam. Remember, this is a Hebrew translation of the Arabic. All of Parish Mishnayas was written in Arabic by the Rambam. Only the Mishnah Torah was written in Hebrew. Says the Rambam. Says the Rambam, what he writes in Ilchos Deos at length, the goal of life is to live a balanced spiritual life. To live in the Rambam's Lashon, the Shvil HaZahav, the golden mean, the golden path, not to be extreme in any Midah, except for two, ex- two exceptions, not for now, Gaiva, and actually, maybe we'll get to one of them, but uh, with two exceptions, but, but in general, the golden mean. And not to go to either extreme. Unless you need to to heal oneself. If one is going too much in one direction, you have to get back in the other direction. That's how the Ramam describes Parsha's Nazir. A Nazir says the Ramam is not an ideal. Sometimes somebody has to be in a state of Naziris to 
balance out the other extreme that he is in, but that is not the ideal. Kemosha Adam Hayodeh Malachas Refuas, says the Rambam, just like in physical health. In physical health, everything in balance. We should never do anything extreme regarding our physical health. Is a good food to eat? If we eat too much of the food, it's going to make us sick. Right? If we do too much of this, too much of that, even of a good thing. If somebody sees their physical makeup, their physical health is turning in a certain way, I won't let myself get sicker. I'll try to catch it before it gets more serious. I'll take medicine to balance. I'll take antibiotics to try to get rid of the of the disease. Because if not, I'm just going to get sicker. I'm going to have to take something even stronger going to the other side. And if we find one of our limbs is is a weak, we'll try to strengthen it. And the Rambam continues, that is what we do in the physical realm. Says the Rambam, it's the same thing with Midos. Same thing with Midos staying in the balanced area, middle of line 12. We have to look at our Midos. If we see ourselves going to one extreme too much, we have to try to go to the other one. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to have perfect, natural, straight in the middle of the Shvil Hazav. We're always a little bit off, a little bit this way, a little bit that way, and we always have to constantly reevaluate what we're doing. As the Gemara and the Masul Sharm talks about, we have to try to focus and keep ourselves in focus. Says the Rambam, even Moshe Rabbeinu was not perfect in this area. And here he relates and he gives his own svara. Uh, uh, what he thinks Moshe Rabbeinu did wrong. The Atayodea where it's underlined. Sha'adon harishonim v'achronim. Moshe Rabbeinu, the great. The Adon, the master, which the Ramah himself says. Right, one of the Animamans. To believe that Moshe Rabbeinu was unique and different. Says the Rambam, Moshe Rabbeinu, Allah v'ashalam. Kfar Amar, Elav Hashem Yisbarach. And are we, this week's parsha? Yan lohem mantam bilakti shedi lehenekal Yisrael. You did not sanctify me. What was it? We know there was some type of chil Hashem. But we don't know what it was. Says the Rambam. He rebelled against Hashem. Over and over again. Not lack of Kiddush Hashem. What did he do wrong? The problem was a midara. The problem was the, the public demonstration of the greatest leader that we've ever had. Anger. The Ramam Shita is, Moshe got angry. Moshe got angry, he screamed at Am Yisrael, and we all get angry. But Moshe, in front of everyone, in front of all of Am Yisrael, he's about to give water to bring it to a tremendous nace, and he gets angry. Hashem holds him to the highest standard possible. Hashem told him what to do. He got upset. B'nai Yisrael complained inappropriately. Hashem told him what to do. Just do what Hashem said, says the Rambam. 
to turn around and scream at them sometimes when a when a child asks for something. And so a parent's going to give the child whatever what, what the child wants. But first, the parent has to make sure the child knows that they, he doesn't really want to give it to him. So first, the parent will scream at the child and then give it. So it's like undermining the, the whole gift that the, that the parent is giving the child. Why are you screaming at him if you're giving him the gift? Or don't me manavshach. So Hakadosh Baruch Hu says the says the uh, Rambam was upset. Moshe, I told you what to do. Just talk to the rock and don't scream. Don't get upset. I, I, it's, it's up to me to get upset at them. I'll take care of it, says Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And that's the chait, says the Rambam. On Moshe's level, the greater a person is, the more connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu a person is, the greater opportunity for Kiddush Hashem and the greater opportunity for Chil Hashem. The more we know, the more we're identified and identifiable as Orthodox Jews, as God's people the greater chance we have to sanctify his name, and Rachman al-Islan, the greater chance we have to be Mechal Hashem Shemayim. It's a privilege, and it's a tremendous responsibility. And that's what, says the Rambam, Moshe Rabbeinu had that unbelievable privilege, and he got closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But ultimately, because of his greatness, he's held to such a high standard, says the Rambam, and his anger, his anger issue, uh, brought him down in terms of Eretz Yisrael. They looked at every single act that Moshe Rabbeinu did. How could, how could he have gotten angry? That's the Rambam and his shita to what the chait of Moshe, Moshe was. Okay. The Ramban did not like this. We're not going to go through the Ramban's own shita this year. We've done that in past years, but the Ramban does not like this. Rambam, how can you say Moshe Rabbeinu? They deserved it. Right, Moshe got angry, and look at what everything else Moshe Rabbeinu did. And if this is Moshe, what about Aaron? Aaron didn't scream. Right? What do you mean Shimonu HaMorim? Right? Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that says, if you look in the uh, Vayomer Lahem, he says to them, right, singular, so why should Aaron be punished for this? So the Ramban has kashas on the Rambam, and there are defenses. Let's now focus again on Rashi and expand it upon by the other Rishonim. Rashi says, he answers, but he doesn't answer. What does Rashi say? He hit the rock. Hashem told him to talk to the rock. But instead he hit the rock. That's the problem. Says the Rashi, Speak to the rock. It was a different rock, without getting into the details, and therefore it led to problems. That's Rashi. It's called a Mepharshim. I don't understand. A nace is a nace. Right? Oh, hitting the rock, hitting the rock, and water coming out. Oh, that's a, that's that's nothing. That's uh, that's 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 simple. That wouldn't have been such a such an insp- inspirational moment for Klal Yisrael. Talking to the rock. Oh, that would have been it. So all the Mepharshim on the Mepharshim Rashi is, what's the difference? Hitting the rock, talking to the rock. You're right. If you look in the words, Hashem said to speak to the rock, and they hit the rock. That's true. And it's very, we don't know why that happened. So Chazal add in, why? It was a different rock. But why should that be so terrible? Why should that be so terrible? Says the Svarno. Says the Svarno in source number five. Kfar Rabu Hadeos, Be'inyin Chetne Meriva. There are many opinions about this. 
it's so ambiguous in the Torah, purposely ambiguous, because maybe, you know, probably if Hashem didn't want to make it so clear what the Avera was of Moshe Rabbeinu, trying to cover it up somewhat. So we have to try to go beneath the surface to try to figure out what what it was. But to write it explicitly, Hashem doesn't write it explicitly. He gives hints. So says the Svarnok, So many different opinions. What was the problem? And very strong words are used each time. Line 11. It's appropriate for us to think about as follows. You know what the goal of this whole exercise was? They complained inappropriately about water. I've given you water for 40 years. I've given you mun every day. You don't think I'm going to take care of you? I know Miriam died. I know the Be'er temporarily has has stopped. You don't think I'm going to take care of you, Am Yisrael? And yet they complain in a very negative way. Hashem wanted to teach them and be misakin, the root of their hate. What exactly was their hate? Let's keep reading this farno. He wanted them to be misvada, to confess about their hate ultimately and realize what their hate was. Hashem is not interested in killing them. He doesn't want them to die. And through this pshat that we are going to say, we will understand. The goal that Hashem wanted to bring about was not achieved through what Moshe and Aaron did. That was the problem. Hashem had one goal where He wanted to bring Klal Yisrael to a certain recognition of their chait. And that was not achieved through the hitting of the rock. As we'll see, and that was the problem. That was the Onesh. Amnam Hamariva. Now he explains. What was their chait? And then we'll get to what was the tikkun of the chait. Says the Sfarna, what was their chait? Amnam Hamariva im Moshe Haisa ba'amram shahaisan agasa bilti shlema. Number one, it was their complaining against Moshe. They were Dalakav Chova. They thought Moshe brought them to this terrible area, to the desert. They're thirsty. Number one is their complaining about le- the leadership of Am Yisrael. Number one, it was their complaints about Moshe. Number two, it was their complaints to Hashem. They thought that Hashem had negative kavanas, chas v'shalom, by bringing them to this place. And number two, that Moshe on his own was not acting as the hand of God. You took us from a, from a, from a wonderful land. They forgot very quickly what it was like in Mitzrayim. And because of this, because Hashem wanted to be Mesakein, their recognition in Moshe and in him, Hashem had a plan. Hashem had a plan of what to do. What was it? What was his plan? Even before we see, just just look at the psukim for a moment. Back in Pasuk Yud, sorry, back in Pasuk Ches, when Hashem commands Moshe, there's really, and this Farno will get back to this, a double tzivui. The Pasuk says, 
Take this, take your mate, gather the Ada, you and Aaron, Vidibartem el Asela Leinehem Vinasan Maimov. Talk to the Sela in front of them, Vinasan Maimov. It will give its water. One phrase, and then there's an asnachta, which means break. Then Another phrase. The first day of the Pasik just said, speak to the rock and it will give its water. Next phrase. Take out water from the rock. Fishkisa Saidavis B Ram. What's what's the what's the double phrase with an asnacht in the middle? As if it's two separate phrases. Says the Svarno. Bottom of the first column. Ubiyoso mine hanisim hamusupar bekis viakoda shalachan mi gimopanim. There are really three types of miracles in the world, says the Svarno. Three types of miracles. Hoyacha number one, Hunes Nistar. The first miracle is what we don't call a miracle. The first miracle is what we call a hidden miracle, Teva. What we call God's hands behind the scenes. Nes Nistar. Kamo, you read this Hamata, rain. Rain, oh, rain is natural. Oh, waking up in the morning is natural. Oh, being able to breathe is not right. Oh, right, the, the, everything in the world natural. No, no, that's also a nace. Nace nistar, like the Ramban writes at the end of Parshas Bo. These types of nisim many times we can achieve through our tefillah. Hashem doesn't do what we call nace niglep normally commonly through prayer, but give somebody a refuah, help somebody with their parnasa, help somebody uh, get a shidduch. That's nace nistar. That's the first type of nace. Number one. Avram Davin, then healed Avimelech, etc. Next column, on top. Vahabe's second type of nace, who nace nigla, is open miracle. Category two and three are going to be both open miracles, but there's going to be a difference between them. Category two, What does this mean? Something that naturally cannot occur. In Teva. But over time, it can occur. Meaning, we'll give examples of this in a second. What does that mean when Chazal used that? What does that mean? That a person got somewhere very, very fast. Right, in an unusual way, in a miraculous fashion. So is that a miracle? That's a miracle. But it's not the same type of miracle as Kriyas Yamsuf. Kvitsa Derech means something that should have taken a week, took a day. Okay, that's a nace. But it's a, what we might call category two. Nace Nistar, now we're moving up. Nace that takes Teva, but modifies it. It modifies it through time. Something that should take a long time, takes a short time. Something that already exists in Teva, comes. You have locusts that exist somewhere. All of a sudden, they fly, and they infest a certain land. Frogs. Frogs exist. So you have a billion frogs in a certain area. That's this type of nace, category two. And many times, says the Svarno, there is human input to bring about that nace. 
human input, to reflect the fact that it's what we might call yesh meyesh, not yesh meyayin. It's there, but it's modifying what's already there. And that's reflected by the fact that a human acts. Many of the the kinim, lice, lice are natural, Right, lice come. They were in the. There were there were bugs in the in the. Where they come from? Afar. You throw up afar and becomes lice. Or lice comes, flies from the uh, from with the wind. And all those makos, Moshe, Aaron, somebody did something. There was human intervention. There was an act. That's what goes along with type two. But then we have type three. As you could guess, type three is something totally. Nace, nigla, nothing like this in nature. Nothing ever happened like this. Something totally unique. And basically, HaKadosh Baruch Hu performing Maisa Bracious again. Performing Maisa Bracious again. Vizehamin and that type of nace, that type of nace, there will never be human input in that. It will always be God and maybe forecasting Debur of a human, but not Maisim of a human. For example, last week's Parsha, the Piha'aretz. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu says there's going to be a Bria, boom. The, war, the, 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 the ground splits open and certain people fly in and slide in. That's something unique. Maybe it's all of those listed in Perkyavos. Piha'aretz, a talking animal, right? A talking donkey, right? Next week's Parsha. That's a, that's a different type of nace. That's category three. And that is a reflection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and not just teaming up a shutaf with a human being. Vihispire, so now we get to, as, uh, we can see where this is going. What's the difference between hitting the rock and talking to the rock? Says the Svarno, hitting the rock would be category two. Hitting the rock is doing what? That's back in the puzzle that we started off with. That would be bringing water from, let's say, you would hit the rock, it would split open, and then water would come from underneath. Boom! Water shouldn't be coming from here. But an underground spring, a will bring, boom, water coming and serving and water and giving water to the people and their animals. What would talking to the rock would have done? What was the language in the Pasik? It would give its water. What does that mean? The rock would change into water. It would give its water. Not bringing water from anywhere else. That would be a category three type nace. That would be a reflection of not only the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu, who's involved, but the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Mishaleach, and that's what they did not fulfill. And that was the Chil Hashem involved, because now this would prove to Am Yisrael, the HaKadosh Baruch Hu is acting with human help, but not HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, and that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls it a Chil Hashem. V'hispar malas ha-shaliach, b'minabez, minanisim anase b'tnuas ha-shaliach but not the earlier ones, and therefore, says the Sparno, that was the problem. As we turn over the page, he says, this is, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu had to pay for, Moshe and Aaron. They did a tremendous nace, but it was a different category of a nace. And that's why they weren't allowed to go in. Why is that Mida connected Mida exactly, not going into Eretz Yisrael? That the Sparno does not go into. That he leaves up to us to try to figure out. Right, what uh, going into? Ironically, you're not, a go, not allowed to go into the land where there's not going to be any nisim. It's all going to be teva. 
the land where Am Yisrael is going to live after Yericho and a couple of Nisim of Shemesh Begivon Dome. Ultimately, the goal is is Teva, but that is the shot of the Svarno. So tonight we did the Rambam and the and the Svarno. Okay, moving right along. Let's get to some other thoughts. An amazing Pasuk, which we might not have focused on in the past. It doesn't seem like an amazing Pasuk, but if you think about it, it's a tremendous Musar Haskell for us. Right after Moshe Rabbeinu is told, Moshe and Aaron, you're not going in. Sorry, you can't go into Eretz Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu is shattered for the second time in 40 years. Right? It happened 40 years ago with the Luchos. His dream of giving the Torah to Am Yisrael, Shichai Samcha, finished. What happens here? But now it's final. Moshe Rabbeinu is told by Amshem, you're not going in. What does the very next Pasuk say? Pasuk Yudalit. The very next Pasuk, Vayishlach Moshe Malachim Ikadeshah Melech Edom. Moshe says, sends messengers to the king of Edom. Karmar Achicha Yisrael, you're, this is Am Yisrael, we're going, etc. He was just told he's not going in. What does he do? He takes the next step. Says Rav Sarutskin, says the Aznayim Latorah, source number seven. If we are ever in the middle of a project, and we are told, and we know that we are not going to finish the project, that we will not finish whatever we're involved in. Human nature is to give up. Human nature is to step aside. Let the person who's going to finish the job take over. I am not needed anymore. I can't finish it. I might as well stop now. Moshe Rabbeinu, right after he is told he is not going in, the very next Pasik, he continues going towards Eretz Yisrael. He does not say, Yeshua, I want to take over now. I'm finished. He turns around and says, I'm going. I'm not going to go to the last, okay, that's not going to I'm not going to do the last, the last step through the Yardane. But I'm going to keep going. Says Rav Saratskin, Laharos Midos of Shalaraya Mehemna. This shows us the Midos of the ultimate shepherd that we have had. He was told that Moshe Mina wanted to go. Any other leader would have said, okay, I'm not going in. Let somebody else do this. Let him do it. Rabbeinu Moshe Loasa Kane Moshe didn't do that. Vitekev Achara right after the Xera he sends to Melech Edom. We think about it, it's such human nature. If we ever are told we're involved in a project, we're involved in a shul project that we're not going to be able to take it to the end. We're only going to be able to do a part of it. What? So why am I involved? I'm not going to be able to finish it. Right, we know but we want to try to be Gomer. If we know Father that we're not going to be Gomer, we just give up. We pass it off. Not Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem wants me to do part of it, I'll do part of it. Like Moshe Rabbeinu elsewhere, setting up three Arei Miklat, even though the other, they weren't going to work until Yoshua Benun set up the other three. They weren't going to be collate, as Chazal say, until all six were there. Moshe says, I could start the job, I'll start the job, and that is all I, that is all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks of me. Answer number one. Answer number two. Another idea of why Moshe Rabbeinu did not stop. He turns right around and says, I'm going to keep going. There's a thought that's quoted. There's a biography of Rav Kook, an angel among men, in source number eight. And they tell a story there. They tell a story of someone who lived in Chutzlaretz who came to visit Eretz Yisrael. 
came to visit was in Israel at the time. Rav Kook uh, was Nifter before. It was Palestine. And says, the, the man said to, uh, to Rav Kook, you know, it's time for me to go back to Chutz Laaretz and, you know, thank you so much for your hospitality. I love it here. You know, I've worked so much for Eretz Yisrael throughout my life. You know, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to keep working Laman, Laman Eretz Yisrael. So Rav Kook says, that's great, but let me just tell you a thought before you go back. He's like, sure, please. Says Rav Kook, we know in a couple of weeks, Parshas Vaschanan, Shabbos Nachabu, Vaschanan El Hashem, Osher Abenu Davins, Ebron of Erev, please let me in, let me in, let me go, let me go into Eretz Yisrael. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu wait that long? Why isn't Vaschanan this Pasuk right here? Right after Moshe was told you're not going in, Moshe says, hey, please, no, come on, I want to go in, it's not fair. Moshe doesn't say a word. Nothing. He continues. Why? Why did Moshe wait to ask? Says Rev Cook. Because, you know what Moshe Rabbeinu did? Let me show through my actions how much I want to go in. How much I love Eretz Yisrael. How much it's part of me. How much I'm going to do for it. And once I spend the next couple of months pushing and conquering and beating Sichon and Og and all these, then I could ask. Because then I've showed I'm somewhat deserving. I'm connected. He waited until the Jews under his command conquered the lands of Sichon and Og, making it easier to conquer the land of Canaan. Only then he began to pray. That's what it means. Ba'esahi. At that moment, after he's proven. So if Cook says to this man, you've already worked so much for Eretz Yisrael. It's time to stay. It's time to stay, he says. You've done it all your life. Okay, fine. You've proven it. Now it's time to stay, says Rav Kook. But that's for our purposes. Answer number two. Moshe Rabbeinu Dafka didn't because he wanted to go in so badly and he thought this was the best way. This was the best way to convince HaKadosh Bar. Okay. Moving right along. So Miriam dies and later on in the Parsha we have as well Aaron Cohen dies. Two of the three great leaders of Am Yisrael during the de- during the uh, time in the Midbar take their leave now, and obviously Moshe Rabbeinu is going to uh, take his leave only at the end of the of the Torah. So what happens? Aaron Cohen on the first day of the fifth month, the first day of Av, Yisav Aaron Alamav, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up with Aaron with El Azar, the son of Aaron. They go up the mountain Harahar. Nobody sees where they go. They go up. Aaron dies, and he takes off his clothes, he puts his clothes onto Aaron, etc. And what happens? The entire Ada saw that Aaron had died. How'd they see Aaron died? what they see? They didn't see anything. They saw three people go up and two people come down? Says Rashi. When they saw Moshe and Elazar coming down the mountain, and they didn't see Aaron. Amru, hechanu Aaron. Where's Aaron? Hello? Where's Aaron? Amar lahem meis. Moshe says, he died. Sorry. Amru, efshar misha'amar kenegad ha-malach, va'atzar asa yishlo ba-malach ha-maves? Aaron ha-kohen saved so many lives. It's impossible that he died. We don't believe you, said Am Yisrael. We don't. How is it possible? What happens? Miyad? 
Bikesh Moshe Rachamim Veheruhu Malachay Ashari Slamutabamita. Moshe Rabbeinu Davind. Hashem, just show them. Show them. And Hashem showed them a vision of Aaron in a coffin, Aaron on a bed, dead, Rove Minu, and they, then they believed. If you look at the Medrash, the Medrash itself adds on even a, an, a another phrase. What did Moshe Rabbeinu have to David to Hashem for show them? The Medrash says they wanted to kill Moshe. They were about to kill him. We don't believe you. Where's Moshe? Where's our own? If you look in source number nine, the Birchaz Yisrach, Rabbi Ganak Sefer, he quotes the Medrash, the source of Rashi. Rashi leaves out the line, line five. Shachashtu es Moshe va'amdu l'sakla. They were going to get stone him. Says the, says, ask, ask Rabbi Ganak, what they think happened. They were going to kill, why, why were they going to kill Moshe? What, they thought Moshe killed our own. What were they getting so upset at Moshe for? Did they really think that? And even further, they themselves said that the Malach HaMavis is not Sholeit Al-Aron. They admitted to that. If they don't believe that the Malach HaMavis has any control over Aaron, so how they think that Moshe and Elazar are killed Aaron. They couldn't believe it. So why were they getting upset? It's circular. And finally, what they think? Did they think that Aaron was going to live forever? Everybody dies. Even Misushelach died eventually. So what were Bnei Yisrael thinking? What do you mean that they, they thought? So he quotes what he heard from Rav Salvechik. He quotes Rav Salvechik said over that when Rav Chaim Rav Salvechik's grandfather was Nifter. He was Nifter in a place right near Warsaw. Ubno, his son Rav Moshe, the Rav's father, he was in a different city. They didn't have telephones, right? They didn't have, had they, maybe they had, but they didn't have communication like we have. So how did he find out that his father died? He read it in a newspaper and he heard from somebody who was at the Levaya. They heard. That's how they, 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 it wasn't there at the time. And once he heard about it, he sat Shiva. Still in Shloshan, let's say, soon after. He sat Shiva. But right after Shiva, he got up, went to Warsaw to find out really if it's, he went to look for his father. He's like, well, I don't, I don't believe it. When the Chafetz Chaim, this is all the story that Rav Salvechik said over, when the Chafetz Chaim heard about Rav Moshe Salvechik's behavior, he sent a letter to Rav Moshe Salvechik. I don't understand. You heard that he died. You heard your father died, so you sat Shiva. And then you got up, and then you went to Warsaw to find out if your father really died. I don't understand that, asked the Chafetz Chaim. So Rav Moshe Salvechik answered him. He says, I'll give you, I'll tell you a similar story in the Navi. Elio Navi. Line 19. When Elio Navi went up in a chariot of fire to heaven. The the story of Navi is that they knew this was going to happen. It was already forecast. And Elisha, his Talmud knew. And that it actually happened. What does the Pusik say after actually he was taken? Line 23. They went looking for Elio after he already went up in a chariot of fire. What were they looking for? They knew it was going to happen. It actually happened. What were they doing? Says Rav Moshe Salvechik. You know what they were doing by Elio? You know what I was doing? Even if you know 
that one of the Bali Hamasora has passed on, a Jew does not accept it. A Jew cannot accept it. And even if they know that's the MS, the emotional reaction has to be the reflection, maybe not the intellectual reaction, but the emotional reaction has to be that the Misora has totally changed. It can't be. I have to try to find the Bala Misora, even though you know you're not going to find him. But it's an act that's reflective of something. Line 34. Yet we have to be in a state that we can't accept the bitter reality. Even if you know otherwise. I knew intellectually. They told me my father died, so I sat shiva. But after that, my emotional reaction has to be, this is my Rebbe. Where is he? And for a certain, at least a reflection, not actually looking for him, but as a reflection of the recognition of who this Bala Masora was, that's what our emotions have to tell us. That is what Aaron Cohen happened with Am Yisrael. They said, Aaron, they knew he died intellectually. But their reaction had to be, no, no, where is he, where is he, where is he? That has to be the reaction as not to find, but just as a reflection that they recognize the loss. They recognize what has been taken from them and they don't really want to accept it until, until they have to. Relating to this as well, and then we'll get to the final thoughts of the evening, Relating to uh, Aaron's death as well, we know the famous Chazal, where it says, The entire Am Yisrael, Beis Yisrael cried. What does Rashi say? The men and the women, they all cried for Aaron. Why? Aaron brought Shalom, he solved Shalom by his problems. So everybody, the men and the women, they all cried. Ask the Gur'ah, you ask the Maharal on Rashi. I don't understand. They all knew that Bishus Moshe was the Mun. That wasn't good enough to cry. But only Aaron. Aaron was Oif Shalom Verodiv Shalom. He solved Machlokas. Moshe, ah, oh, he gave us food. Nah, not so important. Why didn't they cry when Moshe died? Call base Yisrael. Aaron was amazing. But Moshe was also pretty amazing. Ask the Maharal Vim Tomar. Sof, sof, I am Moshe Gamke, Mepharnes, call Yisrael. What's the difference? The Yeshlomar says the Gur Aryeh. A message maybe for parents, a message for teachers. The Yeshlomar. Tevade Moshe Hetif Hula Anashim Benashim. Moshe was Metif to everybody also, yes. Aval HaTava Achas. V'lohayarak Inyan Echad. But Moshe's goodness was equal. It was general. It was all related to each Jew in the same way. It was generic. It was a generic katava. The man went to everybody. Aaron Cohen, everybody got a unique message. Everybody got special time. Everybody got special Aaron Cohen FaceTime. Moshe? Okay, everybody got man. So we're thankful. But it was all one big thanks. Aaron Cohen, everyone had that individual connection, the personal connection to him, and that's why everyone felt 
specifically, individually connected. So says the Gerarye, yes, they cried, but the emphasis of Chazal is that the men cried and the women cried differently for Aaron HaKohen. Unlike Moshe Rabbeinu, they all cried the same. It was great, but it was all the same Hatav. Okay, two final thoughts for the for the evening. Maybe we'll try one, and maybe we'll save. We'll see if there's time. Let's uh, go to a drush, a drush from Rav Zevin. Chaf Aleph Yudalid. Get to the uh, psukim of the uh, Shiras Be'er. Right, without even going through the uh, the pshat, because uh, Rav Zevin goes to the drush. Pasuk Yudalid. The pasuk says, "Al Kain Yamar Besefer Melchamos Hashem." It is said in the Sefer of Melchamos Hashem. That's the pasuk you see on the top of the uh, source number eleven. The Sefer Melchamos Hashem. Totally not pshat, but here we go. Klal Yaduahu. It's known. Es achoshech ein magarshim b'maklos. If it's dark in a room, you can't take sticks to try to bang away the darkness. There's no way of hitting away darkness. You could have all the weapons in the world to try to remove the darkness. It's not going to help. Not going to help. You could try to hit it away. What helps? A little candle. A little or. A little soft or. That removes all the darkness. Immediately the darkness will go away. It's the same thing within ourselves. A lot of times we have a lot of darkness in us. Right? We feel chashuch. We feel dark. We feel distant from the Creator. We feel dark. We think we could fight it physically. We think if we fast, we think if we roll around in the snow, we think if we torture ourselves, says Rav Zevin, we fight it. That's going to take away the darkness. Says Rav Zevin, maybe in earlier generations that worked, but most of the time, that's not what Chazal say. That's not what Chazal say. You know how you get rid of darkness? The darkness in our soul? You give a little light. You light a candle. Ner mitzvah v'torah or. The greatest way that we can light up our lives is by the Torah, by a mitzvah, by doing something constructive. HaTorah line 9 shall base medrash to garish memelas ha-menuval. The menuval, the Yitzhahara, could be pushed away with a little light. Ma'at or docha harbe choshech. The koshek and harbe or a little light. Imagine if you put on spotlights. Spotlights, a lot of Torah. Says of Zevin, that's how we have to fight darkness. With light. Within ourselves, within the world, just like in the physical realm of candles and darkness. Al-Kain Yeyamar, says the Pazik, it is said, B'Sefer, with a Sefer. Milchamos Hashem. That's how you fight spiritual wars. With, through a Sefer, through Torah, through the light of Torah, Melchamos Hashem, that is how we, we fight our spiritual wars, and, you know, we'll, we'll stop here, we'll save the final thought for another time. It's on the Haftorah about Yiftach, feel free, it's a mimer from, uh, Rav, uh, Rav but, uh, either way, Or HaTorah is the greatest weapon that we have. 
Torah that we have to inspire people. There's a lot of choshech out there in the world. And the way that we inspire people who are dark, people who are far away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is with the Ora Torah, we should all be zocheh, to spread as much Or as we can to as many people that come across our way. Okay, we'll stop here. We'll pick up next week again, here from Camp Cayley.